we are, uh, we are in the Christmas season. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about, um, uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about passages that we are very familiar with. You don't, you don't have to be a churchgoer to be familiar with some of these passages that, that we're going to look at in the next. But what we want to do is we want to look at these passages and kind of, uh, in some ways, these things, that they may be obvious to you, they may, may not be obvious to you, but also in some of these things, we, we want to see, okay, well, what does that mean to us? What does it mean to us? This is a nice story. It's a beautiful story, but how does it affect us, you know, in 2022? How can our lives be changed at this time by things that we oftentimes are very familiar and comfortable with? And uh, I don't know about you, but you know, you can go someplace and they start reading the Christmas story and you can check out because you know it, right? So don't check out this morning. Let's, let's, see, let's see what God has for us. I want to read to you Luke 1, 26 to 38. It's a familiar passage and we're, then we're going to dig into it. So Luke chapter one, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. You know, we get to this time of year and what, what do we see now? It's popping up everywhere. Um, nativity scenes you know, and, and, and lots of feel-good stuff. Everyone looks so peaceful. You see those nativity scenes and you see, you see shepherds and the magi and donkey and sheep and Mary and Joseph and this little baby and it looks kind of scenic, like the little Lord Jesus, no colic he has. You know, you see, that's the way it kind of looks. It's easy to romanticize. You know, we have silent night. All is calm, all is bright. We talk about the little, have one, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And it's, it's easy to kind of romanticize it and kind of look at it and go, oh, it's so beautiful. But we don't live in the beautiful world, right? We live in a world where we can struggle with mortgages and kid problems and money problems, relational problems, work problems, sickness, tragedy, regrets, anxieties. And many times, if we're honest, we're saying, it's not calm and bright in my world. And yet here we have this idea that Jesus came to bring peace. And I'm not sensing it at times. And so we have this character named Mary. We, there's all kinds of great art. You look everywhere. I thought I'd put a few up, but you've seen them all. All these great pictures of Mary, oftentimes with a halo, and she looks just so serene. You never see a picture of Mary with a frown on her face. You never see a picture of Mary looking like she's upset about everything or whose turn is it to change diapers. You never see that. And yet if we look at her life, and that's what we want to do today, 
We see an amazing journey. But even more so, we see a huge price that has been paid. And so what can her life say to you and to me about peace and how to find it, real peace, in the midst of a world that's full of turmoil and turbulent? So when we first meet her, we saw that in this passage, the angel comes and said, greetings to you who are highly favored, highly favored. You're going to name a pass after you in football. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this should be. It's kind of interesting that the first thing we see about Mary is that this, this, this troubles her. Okay, this word means that there's this churning, this anxiety, this, this, this discomfort. She has no clue what's going on. She's not used to being singled out. This is just a poor young girl in a village in the middle of nowhere. Even, I mean, even her name, it's interesting when I did that, had that study that, I didn't do the study. I was talking to you guys about it, about names. They estimate that half the women in Israel were named Mary. It was such a common name. That's why if you read your Bible, you'll see all the time, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the sister of Martha. They identify because there's so many Marys. So we need help knowing which Mary we're talking about. And so here is this young girl. There's nothing special about her. There's nothing special about where she lives. And she's not used to this. And she's going to get pregnant, miraculously. She doesn't understand. She says, how can this be? You know, how can this be? She's greatly troubled at this. She does know this. There's some things she does know. She knows she's not married yet. She knows she's engaged to Joseph. She knows this. If she goes to Joseph, I mean, here we are. Put yourself in someone's shoes. She goes to Joseph and she says, Joseph, I got bad news. I'm pregnant, but I got good news. God did it. You think about that. She knows he's not going to believe her. She's going to tell him she was visited by an angel. But he's not going to believe that. So she knows this. She knows also what happens to people who are adulterers. She knows what happens to them. Especially in a small town. She's dragged to the center of town. Clothes ripped off in a public place. Hair taken down, which is an incredible shaming uh, done that could be done. One of the most awful things that could be done. Stripped of her jewelry and then left there to be shamed by the whole community. She knew this is probably going to mean she's going to lose her marriage with Joseph. And any chance that she has at a normal life is gone. You know, the reason is, and we see this even today, we see in some communities, especially very religious communities that are at war, that rape becomes a weapon. Because in many of those communities, if a woman has been raped, then she's soiled, she will never get married. No one will have her. And Mary knows this. She knows this is what people are going to think about her. She's an adulteress. That's what they're going to think. I mean, it's a small town, right? Anybody heard of a small town where gossip doesn't fly like crazy? There's maybe less than 100 people in her town, and many of them are related. It's going to get out. There's no hope of becoming lost in the crowd. So she'd lose her reputation. 
Even if Joseph believed her, she knew she would lose her reputation. She knew what people thought of pregnant, unwed girls. She knew how this could affect her for the rest of her life. And in some ways, her fears came true. It did affect her for the rest of her life. And gossip did fly around. We have later, when Jesus is in his ministry, and they said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they took offense at him. Understand this, son of Mary is a slur. Every Jewish boy was known as the son of their father. It should be Jesus bar Joseph. And he's called the son of Mary. Why? Because we don't know who your father is. A little later, they call him a Samaritan. What is that? A half-breed. We don't know who your father is, and we kind of think maybe he's a Gentile. So you're a Samaritan. And so this lived on for the rest of Mary's life, for the rest of Jesus' life. And then as it continues... And Jesus, Mary is struggling with this. She's quite aware of what could happen. She has a response that is amazing. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Your will, not mine. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. This is not a passive resignation to events that are out of control. This is an active, so this is like Romans 12, one and two where it says, present yourself to God. She presents herself to God. She makes this act of the will. She says, I am yours. I am yours, do what you want. And Paul in Romans 12, one and two is telling us to do the same thing. Paul could just as easily say, be like Mary, present yourself. And, and here's the thing. She's presenting herself knowing ahead of time this is gonna be difficult. And difficult maybe isn't even a good word for this. Horrible. People are gonna talk. My, my relatives are gonna talk. Everybody's gonna think this. Okay, Lord, I'm in. That's what she's saying. It's heroic because her agenda, her dreams, her life, who she is, Every day of her life, she'll need to pray this prayer. This is unbelievable. This is a dangerous prayer to pray. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Her response right here is the foundation for any peace she will experience in the rest of her life. Because now she knows my life will not be easy. My life will not be quiet. My, not, my life will not be respectable. Who am I? I'm the Lord's servant. This is who I am. That's her foundation. Before Jesus suffered for Mary's sake, she suffered for his. She knew it was coming. So who is this baby? What is he going to do? She's getting these hints, but it's not a total explanation. A little history, a little background here, just real quick. Herod is the king of Palestine, but Caesar Augustus is the ruler of the Roman uh, empire. And Caesar Augustus was adopted by Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was the first Caesar. They said he is a God, not a man. He's a God. And then Caesar Augustus 
who was the Caesar when Jesus was born, was called the Son of God. In fact, in fact, he sent out a declaration because he ended the civil wars. He calmed down the, promises, uh, the, the provinces. He created what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome through the whole known world at that time. And they called him the savior of Rome. And there was a, a, a proclamation. It was a euangelion, good news it was called. Caesar Augustus, the son of God, the savior of his people, has brought peace to earth. This is around the time Jesus is born. Familiar language, right? Loaded language. Because if someone else is saying, I'm the son of God, I'm the king, I bring peace, they're in direct confrontation with Caesar and Rome. And you're taking your life in your hands. And, and here's the thing. Mary knew this declaration because Caesar Augustus had this red. He sent couriers through the whole world. It was red in every town, every village. Caesar Augustus, the son of God, the savior of the world, has brought peace to earth. So Mary knows this declaration. And in Luke 1.35, we see the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Luke 2, 10 to 14, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to, the, to men on whom his favor rests. There's this new king is what's going on there. And so Mary hears this, she sees this, all this is going on around her. And it says, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her, in her heart. I used to think there was, this is kind of like Mary kept this little scrapbook, right? Here's Jesus, see, okay. These were the three cool guys that came and gave us gifts. They were great guys. Here's the shepherds, they smelled, but they were good people. You know, she's got this, she's got this scrapbook, right? I thought that's what that kind of meant. It doesn't exactly mean that, it's very interesting. Um, Treasuring and pondering are kind of a technical word. And when the Jews translated the Old Testament into Greek, these were two words in the Septuagint. These are two words they used often for the prophets. And it was this idea that the prophets, when they were called to action, they had this reflection on what God had called them to and they decided to act upon it. It requires intellect. It requires sensitivity spiritually. And it requires another thing, courage. Because for many of the prophets, they knew what they were going to say was not what people wanted to hear. Just the raw guts to go public with an unpopular message. These are the words that are used for Mary here. And, and these are words that the prophets would use to call people to a response. On the basis of what I'm saying, you have to make a decision. Are you with God or are you not with God? Do you follow God? Do you not follow God? This is what the prophets would do. And so Mary is thinking about this. A little later, they go to the temple for the baby dedication. And there's a priest there. His name is Simeon. He's a righteous man, scripture tells us. He had prayed to God, God, before I die, please let me see the Messiah. That was his prayer as a righteous priest. And God answered his prayer. Sovereign Lord, Simeon is, is praying now. Jesus has been presented to him and he recognizes the Messiah. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, I can die now. You answer my prayer. For my eyes have seen your salvation from which 
you have prepared in the sight of all people a light, and I love this, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon gets it. He says, this is for everyone. This is the whole world. This isn't just for Israel. And he says, God, thank you. Thank you for answering my prayer. I can die now. You know, you ever heard anyone say something like that about a baby? We have five kids and I think they're pretty cute. People told us they were pretty cute, but nobody looked at one of our kids as a baby and said, oh, I can die now. This kid is so cute, just take me, Lord, right? Nobody said that. But look at what he says to Mary next. Same prophet, Simeon. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Can you imagine that? You go there, this priest, you, you, Jesus is not that old. You, you, all this stuff is still fresh in your mind. The, you know, the, all these things that had happened are still fresh in your mind. The angel, all this stuff. And this, this prophet you present for a, just a baby dedication, just a normal baby dedication. This prophet says, this is the Messiah. I can die. This is the Messiah. And for Mary, this feeling of, I can't, this is. And then he looks at her and says, and you are going to suffer for it. Oh, can you imagine? My first thought would be, no, I didn't ask for this. Just bless him, right? He says, you're gonna suffer for this. This prayer that you prayed, I am the Lord's servant. May, may you know, I'm, I'm yours, God, I'm all in. This is a dangerous prayer, Simeon's telling her. I think, and, and this is, you know, we th- I just think about these things sometimes. Imagine the conversations that she had with Jesus. We don't know anything hardly about Jesus growing up. We just knew he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew intellectually and physically. You know, he was a, he was a human being. That's what scripture's trying to tell us. But can you imagine those conversations when Jesus began to get a clue that he wasn't just like all the other kids? And she talks to him some, probably talks to him about what happened at, at his birth, how incredible that was. And telling him, you're going to be the king? I know Herod's the king, but you're going to be the king. And Caesar, off in Rome, you're going to be the king. And, and I can imagine Mary saying, I don't know how this is going to work. And I sense that it's going to be hard and painful because I've been warned that. The only thing, the only thing I can think of is just keep, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's all I got, Jesus And she has that for him, but she has that for us. When we struggle, when we go through difficult times, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as me as you have said. God, what's your will? Your will be done. And I started thinking about this. How can we be like Mary? What can we learn from this? How can we apply this to our lives? I mean, some of it's pretty obvious. But I think maybe... For some of us, maybe you're here and God is calling you for a deeper walk. Maybe you're here and God's calling you to accept Christ 
as your savior. He's calling. And Mary is a part of this. Because I thought of three things, just simple things. A life with God requires, based on what we know about Mary, a life with God requires hard thinking. What do I mean by that? I get that here. Look at, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, and it's interesting because what does Mary say? It's not what you would expect if it was a legend, right? If you wanted everybody to think, oh, Mary, she was so holy. What does she say? It says she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She was troubled and she was wondering. One of the Greek words here is, is, is uh, one of these beautiful Greek words that is like a compound word. Dialogizomai is what it is. And it's part of where we get the word logic. That's kind of the part of the basis of it. But it has this idea of where we get the word dialogue also. This back and forth, very, very logical thinking. And what does it mean? It means to ponder something. It means to furiously analyze something. What kind of greeting is this? It means to go through categories, your grid, in a sense, your worldview. Is this a dream? Is this the pizza I had last night? Is this what's going on here? Is this real? Am I seeing things? This is not how you would write legends to, to promote the piety among the faithful. Mary is struggling with this. Mary is reacting just the way we would, right? This is not normal. So what is it? You know, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of easy nowadays. People say, well, we're modern. They were primitive. They believed in all that kind of stuff. We're different. But no, we're not. She wasn't looking for a vision from an angel. That didn't happen on the regular. That wasn't something anybody was looking for. That's not something she was looking for. This is totally out of her realm of experience. This is not her worldview. And so she is furiously working through this to try to figure out what is going on. It is so reassuring to me that Mary's first thoughts about this is, I don't know, this is hard. How can this be? How can this be? Which is a nice way of saying, not possible. Not possible. How do you account for the fact that Mary and these early Christians believed that God had come in the flesh and that we are to worship a human being. How do you account for that? It didn't come from, it didn't come from Greek or Roman thinking. There's no way it came out of that. It didn't come from Eastern religions. They thought matter and the physical world was an illusion and would just pass away. It didn't come from the Jews. That would be blasphemy. So Mary and the early Christians were willing, were willing to go against what they had been raised in their whole life because something so extraordinary had shook their world that they had no choice but to believe. It's not coming out of a culture of religion. It's a lightning bolt coming out of a clear blue sky. What would make these people go against their culture, their families, their religion? What made them believe that anyone anyone else would say is diametrically opposite of your faith. 
C.S. Lewis wrote, one reason I believe is no one's brilliant enough or crazy enough to have made this up. Because it's so extraordinary. Mary is working through this hard thinking. She's struggling with it. I want you to see something. Faith is more than thinking, but it is not less. It's more than thinking, but it's not less than thinking. It's an integral part of it. So hard thinking. The second thing I want you to see is there's honest doubting. Mary's first reaction is not, yes, Lord, I'm with you. This is awesome. No. First thing she said is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She goes, not possible. I got a real good reason why this is not possible. Right? And so what is she saying? She's saying, I don't think this can happen. But it's also, it's like, I'm looking for more information. She gets more information. The angel answered. He's answering her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even your Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. It's not a total answer. He gives her some information, but then he clinches it with nothing's impossible with God. Rest on that. Rest on that because, he, you know, Mary, if you're, and I think this is what leads her to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you. Yeah, I, I, okay. Because she said, ah, I'll take that. She speaks, her, she speaks how she's feeling. She says, how can this be? And I, I love it. She's not reprimanded for doubting. She's not reprimanded. She's given more information. It doesn't necessarily answer the question, but she's given more information. Enough information to make a decision. You know, we always wish we knew more. Everything in our life, we wish we could see more, understand more, look further in the future, understand why people are the way they are. And God says, no, listen, trust me in this. This anxiety that you're feeling about this thing that's in the future is simply you saying, I can't trust you, God. And God says, trust me on this. She's feeling this anxiety. She can partially see the future and it does not look good. And God says, trust me on this one. And he gave her this information. He reassured her with nothing is impossible with God. And the reason why he did it is because Mary expressed her doubts. We have this part of scripture because Mary said, I don't see how this could happen. But I want to see the, the, the thing that clinches it. She's doing some hard thinking. She's doing some honest doubting. The third thing is sincere surrender. And this is that beautiful verse. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. She said, okay, nothing's impossible with God. I'm going to trust him on that. I can't see how this can work. I can't see how my, anybody in my town is going to accept me. I can't see how Joseph's going to accept me. I can't see how I will live if I'm raising a child as a single unwed mother. That most often leads to prostitution. How am I going to do this? What is God doing to me? And the angel says, you got to trust God. Nothing's impossible. And she says, okay. Okay. I can't see how this is going to work for good but I'll trust. It's interesting here too, if you noticed here, he tells them, uh, he, he tells Mary, this is what the child's name's gonna be. It's interesting because, you know, usually parents name their children. They're, 
instructed, they choose because they're in charge and they're older and they get to make the mistake that can scar a child for life, right? <laughs> Parents are the ones who name their children, except here. Except here. Why? Because Jesus is the first child ever born who is older than his parents. First child ever born. The angel is telling her from the get-go, you don't manage him. He manages you. And I know a lot of times I've run into people who will say things like, I would like to believe this, but does that mean I have to believe this? And they'll point to some other part in the word of God. And let me tell you something, that's trying to manage God. That's trying to make God fit your preconceived notions, and that is not a relationship. It's a cost-benefit analysis. It's saying, God, I want you to be Lord of my life, but I want to be in charge of my life. At some point, you have to realize you may not understand, you may not know what following Christ will bring. And sometimes you may even understand, you may realize that following Christ can bring some very difficult things into your life. Because it can. But, just like Mary, we have to make a decision. It may be an initial decision to accept Christ as your Savior and to give your life to Him. Or for some, it may be a decision to yield your life more fully. You have this relationship with him now, but he's calling you for something deeper. He's calling you for more. He's saying, don't settle for the status quo. Mary was going to settle. For, I mean, she had her, I'm sure she had this idea of what her life would be like. And it was the status quo. I'll get married. We'll have kids, you know. We'll go to synagogue, we'll go to the temple once a year, we'll do, we'll just, and we'll try to raise them to love God. It wasn't a bad idea. And God said, nope, I got way more for you. I got way more for you. And maybe God is saying to you, I have more. Take a chance, like Mary did, and see what I can do. I do not doubt that Mary, at the end, looked back and said, it wasn't worth it. I wish I hadn't have done it. No, she knew it was worth it. She knew what it meant. She knew that it cha would change the world. And maybe today God is stirring in your heart. And it could be scary. It can be scary because so I, I know that feeling. When, when God can stir and you can start to say, well, what do you mean, God? Do you mean you want me to do like this? Are you asking me to do this? You know, sometimes maybe we talk about something here and you go, ah, I, don't, I can't financially help. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. It's too tight. It's too, and God's maybe pushing you a little. And it's not, ugh, I just dipped into money. And you guys know I hate to talk about money. But it, that's what I can struggle with. That's what I can struggle with. Feeling like God's saying, Bob, maybe you should do this. Oh, God, I already give over here and over here. I'm doing a lot more than them. You know, I can point around, right? And God's saying, no, trust me on this. I have something for you. Trust me, Mary, you're going to see something that is unbelievable. You're going to be an integral part of the world changing. Trust me on this. And God is saying the same thing 
to us. The same thing. Will you follow me? Knowing that it can be difficult. Knowing that it may be hard. Knowing that you may have to cut, cut some things you, that you've got your heart set on. Knowing that you may have to, I don't know. I don't know. It's different for every one of us, but God does want us to get closer and deeper. He wants us to trust more and to follow him. And we cannot, I mean, this is one of the things I see so much nowadays. We cannot do the cost-benefit analysis. That's not how it works. You cannot say, I believe this part of the Bible, but this part I don't like. Because Jesus never gives, it's an all or nothing deal. It's just like his lordship. It's an all or nothing deal. Jesus doesn't say, look, you can make me lord of your life except in your finances. Those are all yours. Do what you want. No, he doesn't say that. It's, it's, it's a decision we make. It's like Mary deciding to go all in. And when God stirs your heart, I know it can be scary because we don't like, we don't like submitting whatever, finances, family, future, life, whatever it is. We don't like submitting that to God. I understand that. And he's saying, do it. Step out, see what I can do. He says to Mary, nothing's impossible with God. You just brought up the impossible and guess what? It doesn't work in this circumstance. And we have our impossibles. God, I can't do that. And he says, nothing's impossible with me. See what I can do. Just see what I can do. If, if you sense God is doing that, man, we'd love to help. If you're new to Christ, we would love to help. If you're struggling, you know, you may be saying, I'm doing some honest doubting right now. I'm struggling. We would love to help. Contact us, contact me. Fill out a, put, just put a note on a card and hand it to me. I don't, we would love to help because this is not, we understand, I understand. This is not easy what we're talking about. It's not easy. But it is the most important thing in the world. God is looking at us like he was, he said, Mary, nothing's impossible. Trust me. And she says, Okay, I'm going to trust you, and I see no way out of this. And yet God worked in an incredible, he did the greatest things that ever happened in the history of the world. When you decide to live for Jesus Christ, oftentimes he puts you in situations where you interact with people, and you have opportunities sometimes to plant a seed, opportunities sometimes to, to say just something, do something. And you know what? You can, God can take that and God can use that to change someone's life for eternity. In other words, you can be a part of the greatest thing that has ever happened to a person's life. The greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I share things sometimes and, and I don't want to be like, oh, look at Bob, he's got a, I, I don't have it all together. I struggle with things just like you struggle. But every once in a while, I get it right. And years ago, I was going, I, I shared this with you. I was going to a karate class with three other guys in the middle of the day. I was working with kids and, and, and trying to help, help teenagers. And I was using what I was learning in karate to, to, to get with these teenagers and, and, and they loved it. And so I would go, go three times a week to take uh, Taekwondo. 
And uh, there were three other guys and they pretty soon found out who I was and what I did and they mocked me. They made fun of me. Now they were nice guys and it was a lot of times it's just like, uh, like we, we occasionally we would uh, spar. And so one time I hit one of them, and I got him. I got him. He's wearing a face mask, you know, and everything, but he stopped. He said, oh, 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 He goes, oh, what? We have a pastor who loves to hit people, you know, just, just things like that. Just things like, this is fine. I didn't mind, you know? And then 20 years later, I get a phone call. And he says, Bob, this is who I am. Do you remember me? And I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. I wish I'd have hit you harder. No, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, I remember you. He says, you know, I'm sorry we made fun of you. I said, dude, it's fine. He says, well, because we were listening. And he said, I pastor a church now. And I want to thank you for just being a witness. I never went through the gospel with them necessarily, but I just tried to be a witness. And he says, you, you remember John? Who is it? I said, yeah. He goes, I led him to the Lord. He's a Christian too. He said, you didn't know it, but we were watching. You don't know it. There are people watching you. They're watching you. And I don't know that you'll get a phone call like that. That was such a blessing to get that phone call. We met uh, not long after that and just hugged and laughed and cried together. But God is saying to every one of us, just like he said to Mary, nothing's impossible with me. I want you to go all in. Put all your chips on the table. All in. Do it. And Mary says, I'm in. And Mary, I believe, shared that with her son. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Not my will. Your will. I think he learned that from his mother. I can't prove that. That's just me. But she was a woman who decided, I'm all in. And I know it's going to hurt. I can see the hurt more than I see any blessing. And she went, because we have a God. He says, I want you to submit to me. What right does he have to tell us that other than that he made us? That's kind of a pretty big right. But it's because he submitted to us. He took our punishment. And then he uses us. You know, uh, I remember our kids used to sing a little song in church, right? Dare to be a David, something like, I'm going to be a David, or some little silly church. And we never, we never had, we never had, I want to be a Mary and obey the Lord. But that would be a perfect song. Because we need to dare to be Marys. We need to dare to be Marys. A person who says, I'm all in. Doesn't look great. I can see some problems. But you're the God of the impossible, so I'm going to trust you on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. That you call us to this. Even through, even through passages that are so familiar to us, Lord, and yet they call us. They call us to make decisions. And so, Lord, help us to obey. Help us if you are, right now, Lord, if you are working in some hearts here, Lord, that, that give them courage to obey, to step out. And, Lord, as we do that, in the long run, we see you work. We see you do great things. So help us to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.